أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وضررياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد We continue uh, this seventeenth uh, night of Ramadan uh, the reading from Mawlana Abu Hassan Ali al-Nadwi's Saviors of the Islamic Spirit in particular uh, with regards to the life uh, and work of Imam uh, al-Ghazali uh, with a discussion of uh, his critique of rulers and kings. So Mawlana starts, Ghazali held that along with the religious scholars, kings Rulers, administrators, uh, nobles, uh, uh, and the like were also responsible for the widespread moral and spiritual degeneration of people. Abdullah bin Mubarak had also expressed the same feeling in regards to the kings and nobles 200 years before Ghazali in his famous saying, and who pollutes religion except for kings, uh, nobles, and the priestly order. Uh, which is very deep. If you look at the, uh, you know, how everything went sideways with regards to religion in Europe, um, it was literally those two estates that gathered together and just uh, quashed and suffocated the um, the commoners to the point where they just uh, said to hell with all of you. Uh, and uh, voila, we have the world we have now, mashallah. Uh, uh, Allah Ta'ala protect us from going down the path that they went down. Unmindful of his personal safety, uh, Ghazali rahimahullah ta'ala stood up against the unjust ways of the powerful despots and autocratic rulers who considered themselves above every law. It was a common practice amongst the scholars in those days to accept donations or stipends granted by the then kings. Ghazali rahimahullah ta'ala was, however, courageous enough to denounce these awards as unlawful. He declared that these grants were at best doubtful and worst prohibited. He writes, The revenues accruing to the kings these days are mostly prohibited, for they seldom have a lawful income, or if they have any, it's only paltry. He again says, The income of the kings in our times is either entirely prohibited or its major portion comes under this category. There is nothing surprising in it because we find nowadays no trace of the lawful sources uh, like zakat, spoils of war, etc. No income from these sources generally reaches the king. Amongst the lawful sources, only the poll tax remains now, jizya, but numerous unjust means are employed in the recovery of these dues, which are not uh, which are not allowed by the sharia. The officials of the state exceed the prescribed limits both in regards to the amounts uh, to be recovered and the persons to be assessed for the poll tax. Uh, conditions laid down for assessment of this tax are also disregarded. Apart from these sources of incomes, the coffers of the state are also filled with riches extracted from the Muslims far in excess of the tributes of the lands held by them, confiscations, illegal gratifications, and similar other taxes which are collected uh, even more mercilessly than the jizya is. Uh, which is, I mean, is this very interesting discussion about taxation and how the state is supposed to work, uh, how the uh, income of the state is supposed to work and what the purpose of the state is ultimately. Unjust taxation on behalf of the state was a smoldering grievance of the common Muslims uh, from the middle of the reign of Banu Umayyah. Uh, and it continued on later on. And there's a lot of mavalim, even in states that we hold in relative uh, in relative esteem, there were many mavalim and many uh, unjust uh, happenings that happened in the uh, 
collection of taxes which need to be examined and need to be thought about and need to be uh, talked about for people if they want to uh, if they want to uh, you know rectify uh, any attempt at uh, living according to the deen of Allah Ta'ala in the future. And in fact, actually, I'll go one step further and say even in in our current situation, living in America and living in uh, living as uh, mon- minorities in uh, many Muslim lands or non-Muslim lands, as well as living in Muslim lands as if we're minorities in our own countries where the state doesn't give proper patronage to the deen uh, uh, in, in any full sense. Uh, some, you know, some countries will take care of the masajid relatively well. Others won't even do that. Uh, you know, we need to have uh, mechanisms for funding for all of these things uh, that take into account several important, uh, you know, important uh, considerations. Partially that the funding sh- A should happen. B, that the people giving the money by virtue of having money or giving money don't actually overtake and uh, ransack uh, the functions uh, that they are donating to. Rather, their money is itself considered to be a favor done to them that they uh, get to participate as an act of piety in the deen and don't have much more uh, say in the way uh, that uh, learning, teaching, and the uh, sacred functions of, uh, of the uqaf, of the endowments, uh, run. Um, and further than that, it should be, uh, you know, it should be something that is, that's, that's just. And uh, the way the masajids work nowadays on the kind of sugar daddy model where everybody comes and is a uh, free, uh, free participant or free consumer of what the masjid gives and does, uh, while a couple of individuals kind of pull the strings behind the scene um, without, uh, you know, any uh, prerequisite of piety or knowledge. Any piety or knowledge that happened to be uh, in the hands of such people is purely coincidental. Um, this is not a sustainable model. Uh, this is the model that we have here in America, where you know nonprofits are just another type of corporation, and uh, they get to compete uh, for funds, and uh, are oftentimes driven by by such considerations. This is not a sustainable model at all. Um, and when you project uh, the inability of people to have sustainable funding models. Um, through to uh, you know through a macro through through to a macro level, you get things like the Mughal Empire, and you get things where large portions of the uh, populace are actively encouraged not to accept Islam because um, because the problematic nature of taxation of Muslims or overtaxation of Muslims with you know when compared to non-Muslims, etc. Um, these are all these are all problems that need to be thought about, you know, and like every other problem in the Deen. Uh, or in the life of the Muslims, uh, a person you know is best um, is best encouraged to go back to the early times, to the times of the Prophet وسلم, and the companions or the Allahu Anhum, not necessarily in order to mimic exactly what they did, but to at least learn the usul and the principles that guided the way that they um, you know navigated through these problems, which were real problems in those days as well. Um, but that's a, a kind of a digression. Uh, uh, it's a tangent which is not completely unrelated to what we're talking about, but perhaps beyond the scope of uh, tonight's majlis. So we continue. Ghazali maintained that since the riches amassed by the kings uh, was either, either unlawful or at least doubtful uh, in nature, uh, from the viewpoint of the sharia, it was advisable that no uh, grants or donations out of it should be accepted by uh, an alim. Uh, such an income he held was not conducive to the spiritual advancement of its recipient. Uh, he further argued that instances of scholars accepting royal grants in the past could undoubtedly be cited 
but that was a world altogether different than that of his own times. In connection uh, to this, he writes, the despotic rulers of the past, uh, because of being nearer in the time to the rightly guided caliphs, were at least conscientious uh, or conscious of their tyrannical ways, and hence they were uh, eager to win favor, uh, uh, the favor of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ and their associates and descendants. Since these rulers uh, of the old were anxious that their favors should be accepted by the devout scholars, they made these uh, presentations of their own accord and without any strings attached to their donations. They even expressed gratitude for the acceptance of their grants. Religious uh, scholars, on the other hand, accepted these presentations only to distribute these amongst the poor and needy. At the same time, these mentors of old never sided with the rulers in the furtherance of their political ends. I'm going to repeat this. Uh, at the same time, these mentors of old never sided with the rulers in the furtherance of their political ends. Muslim scholars seem to have been out of the loop with uh, how to deal with kings and rulers for so long that they've gotten a little rusty at this. It seems that uh, most of the last century they were out in the cold. And now that they're uh, being allowed into the majalis of hukum in, the, uh, in the, the gatherings of the rulers, I think they've become a little bit rusty and they're not, uh, you know, some of them at least don't really know how to navigate those, those gatherings uh, properly and are getting used as tools. And, uh, you know, since uh, that this is not like, a, you know, late night political majlis, we're not going to bring that up and we're going to have differences of opinion about all of that. But in general, you know, it's just as a principle, important to know that if someone is getting paid by somebody, there's going to be some influence. So the religious savants, on the other hand, accepted these presentations only to distribute, distribute these amongst the poor and the needy, uh, which is in fact, uh, Mulvi Hamza says, a, a corrective action because um, the, the amassing of wealth unjustly of, uh, of kings and rulers and oligarchs um, is on the back of the poor uh, and on the back of the, the needy and the exploited classes. So to return the money to them is a corrective measure. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have the same effect of uh, the same effect of ex accepting them uh, personally of the ulama. Why? Because they themselves don't benefit from them. Rather, they're just correcting something that was a, a wrong that happened. It just comes full circle. At the same time, these mentors of old never sided with the rulers in the furtherance of their political ends. They never paid visits to kings and chieftains, nor did they ever encourage the latter to call upon them. It was not unoften that they warned the kings for their irreligious actions or even cursed them for their tyrannical ways. Thus, these scholars accepted the presentations uh, of the then rulers because there was no danger uh, of harmful effect uh, to the faith on account to it. Ghazali continues, the kings nowadays have, however, only such scholars on their payroll uh, who they hope to win over to their side for certain ulterior motives or those who would be willing to act as their entourages and sing their praises. The vices flowing out of the acceptance of such favor are many. First, the recipient has to endure humiliation. Second, he has to pay visits to the donor. Third, he has to be lavish in his praise for the grantor. Uh, fourthly, he is required to help the donor in realizing his ends. Fifthly, he has to dance uh, attendance on the ruler like other courtiers. Sixthly, he has to always express gratitude and assure the donor of his help. Seventhly, he has to hold his tongue over the tyrannies and misdeeds of the kings. 
The rulers nowadays would not extend their help to anybody who is not willing to accept even one of these conditions, no matter whether he be an erudite uh, scholar of Imam Shafi'i's fame. It is because of these reasons that it is not lawful now for anyone to accept donation from the kings, even if one knows that the latter has derived their income through lawful means. Uh, there is thus absolutely no justification for accepting grants out of the revenues which have been mobilized through prohibited or even doubtful means. Now, if anybody still unashamedly accepts these donations from these rulers uh, and quotes the companions of the Prophet ﷺ and their successors as a precedent, perhaps he considers the angels to be peers of blacksmiths, for he cannot avoid waiting upon the rulers or their chiefs and officials and playing second fiddle to them, and these are all sins. I have now explained the sources of lawful and unlawful income accruing to the kings. If, however... Anybody uh, still deems it practical to obtain a grant uh, drawn out of lawful revenue. Uh, he also deserves the same, uh, and he also deserves the same, or gets it without in any way uh, asking for the same, or having to please the king or his chieftains, or uh, else the donation does not depend on any service to be rendered in return thereof. Then it may be lawful to accept the same. But I would still advise that it is preferable to refuse it, if only on account of the evils likely to follow in the wake of its acceptance. Moana writes, Al-Ghazali did not uh, merely advise uh, 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 to forsake the donations and grants from kings. He went even further to stress that one ought to completely dissociate oneself um, with them and hate their tyrannical and despotic ways. He writes in the Ihya, Secondly, uh, one should be so completely cut off from the kings that he may never uh, come across them. It is obligatory and indeed uh, safety lies in it that one should hate uh, them for their tyranny. He should never entreat God's blessings for them nor praise them. Uh, nor else seek acquaintance. Uh, uh, the, nor else seek acquaintance of their courtiers. Uh, no. Uh, 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 nor uh, else seek acquaintance of their courtiers. One should not even desire to know anything about them. Uh, this is obviously for for those kings who are despotic, tyrannical, and treacherous in their ways. Um, there have been righteous and upright kings, uh, you know, in the history of Islam. And uh, a little bit of word from Ghazali with regards to that will come a little bit later in the chapter. Mulan Abu Hassan Ali Nadwi uh, further remarks, We are living in a democratic age when freedom of speech and expression is more or less assured in almost every country of the world. It is rather difficult to visualize the amount of courage Ghazali had to muster and the grave danger to which he exposed himself by openly preaching dissociation with the rulers or advising refusal of their grants and criticizing them for their tyrannical and un-Islamic policies in the social, political, uh, and fiscal platform of that time which is uh, something I think uh, many people will fail to recognize, that our, our mashayikh in the old days were outspoken to the point of being uh, uh, considered obnoxious or obstinate uh, for the times that they were in. But they said the haq, and you know, people, people just couldn't handle it. They just couldn't handle it. For despotic and autocratic rulers, uh, as the kings generally were in those days, even the slightest criticism of the state or its policies uh, or officials was sufficient mark of treason, and the heads of eminent scholars and reputed personages rolled on the ground at the uh, slightest displeasure of the, those tyrants, which is true. There are many people whose stories will never reach you and whose books will never reach you because uh, uh, they, uh, you know, they, uh, they suffered at the hands of tyrants and kings. Um, which is which is still the story to this day uh, uh, with extreme and less extreme examples uh, abound around us of people who 
uh, got and lost their seats uh, because of the refusal to kowtow to uh, to the rulers. Mufti Taqi Usmani, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, gave him a long life. Um, he was the chief uh, uh, the, the chief justice of the Sharia appellate court in uh, uh, in Pakistan, in the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, um, during the reign of uh, 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 the Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif, uh, you know, the, the second reign of the Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif, uh, when uh, the government was overthrown by military dictatorship, and they had successfully, uh, uh, they had successfully uh, given the ruling that was passed into law that uh, that bank interest was uh, declared riba and therefore unlawful and the banks in Pakistan were given a, um, a deadline to uh, implement a moratorium on the conventional uh, uh, lending system and switch to a sharia based uh, uh, system uh, of what the, they call Islamic finance uh, much of what they call Islamic finance nowadays, much of it was developed actually in Pakistan and then implemented in other places in the world uh, because of what happened in the past that uh, when uh, Pervez Musharraf, uh, a man who uh, doesn't receive a whole lot of respect from uh, from me and uh, uh, anyway, without going too much because this is not like a majlis about him, but when he overthrew the government uh, amongst a number of like messed up things that he did, he actually uh, told Mufti Taqi that, uh, you know, I, I want you to rescind this, uh, this ruling of yours. Uh, and uh, Mufti Taqi said no. And so he removed him from the court. And then thereafter, uh, he asked uh, Mufti Munibur Rahman, who was the senior, uh, uh, the senior uh, judge on the court, of the uh, of the uh, who had connection with the uh, Brailvi, uh, 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 you know, ideology, uh, and uh, he also refused. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala bless him and give him long life. Uh, he also refused, and so he was also dismissed from the court. So, mashallah, Deobandi Brailvi, a uh, little tag team over there, mashallah. And then afterward, uh, he uh, asked the uh, the head Rafidi, uh, who sat on that court. And uh, he uh, apparently uh, acquiesced, and because of that, uh, uh, you know, the conventional uh, banking system in in Pakistan survived. But uh, you know, Mufti Taqi, Allah Taala bless him, he he gave up that position. He lost that position because of that. And uh, uh, you know, uh, that's a, a, a sign of heroism. Very few people will give up their give up their power like that nowadays. Um, but you know, in the past, people literally would give their lives. And this is, uh, you know, one thing interesting that a person should consider, which is that uh, uh, <clears throat> this is part of just being a man. You know, this is part of like good character, being your chivalrous character. Mulana Tamim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, bless him and give him long life and protect him and put baraka in his work. He uh, worked uh, a translation of <clears throat> Fariduddin Attar's Futuwa Tanama. Uh, a book on futua, on chivalrous and upright and manly character, Jawan Mardi, uh, how to be, how to be, how to be a man, and uh, uh, one of the one of the abiyat in Persian, and uh, you know Attar is Nishapuri. He's he he is a great scholar of Nishapur, uh, in the age uh, uh, in the age that uh, uh, you know the, still the great Masani of uh, of Hadith were still there in <clears throat> in Nishapur. And uh, uh, he was a respected man, and he put this Futuat uh, Nama uh, together. And one of the most memorable memorable lines uh, of the Futuat Nama was what uh, was that a man should say the truth no matter what uh, situation he's in, even if the truth should lead him to the gallows. 
that a man should say the truth no matter what situation he's in, even if the truth should lead him to the gallows. And uh, these are the type of people, you know, Ghazali also is a Persian speaker. He's a native speaker of Persian. Uh, his works, many of his works were also in Persian. And he spoke, you know, he, he, was, he grew up in Tus, which is uh, in the modern day Khorasan province of Iran. And uh, he is a Persian speaker. And that uh, Persianate culture, even though the companions of the Allah whom didn't speak Persian, but uh, those lands were settled and established by the companions and many of the uh, customs and many of the attitudes and many of the sensibilities of the companions uh, uh, and the sensibilities that they brought their Islam with are there in those places. And so it's a little bit deceiving. A person thinks Persian poetry, what does this have to do with Islam? Uh, but, uh, you know, many of these things actually preserve the old, uh, the old virtues and the old uh, um, Fada'il and the old uh, qualities of, of the Arabs that uh, brought the Islam to those places initially. And uh, this is what's being talked about. Is Ghazali saying, where is those ulama, the ones who are going to say the truth even if it takes them to the gallows? And uh, Mulana Abu Hassan Ali Nadwi is mentioning that this is the courage that Ghazali rahimahullah ta'ala had. And uh, it's the fadl of Allah Ta'ala that he didn't end up there. Otherwise, uh, speaking the way he did, most people, that's that's where they would end up. Allah Ta'ala saved him uh, for the benefit of this ummah. May Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala save everybody who speaks the truth, give them najat in this world and the hereafter. As-sidqu yunji wal kathibu yuhlik. The truth will always save a person. Uh, don't don't be fooled by the dunya. This truth will always save a person and uh, and lies will always kill a person. They'll always They'll always damn a person. He says that for uh, despotic and autocratic rulers as the kings generally were in those days, even the slightest criticism of state or its policies or officials was sufficient mark of treason. And the heads of eminent uh, scholars and reputed personages rolled on the ground at the slightest displeasure of those tyrants. People went to the gallows because of this haq. However, throwing all considerations of personal safety to the wind, Ghazali preached and practiced what he considered to be uh, right and never faltered from the duty of severely admonishing the arrogant kings of his time. Sultan Sanjar, the son of the Seljukid king uh, Malik Shah, was the governor of Khorasan. Uh, once Ghazali happened to see him in his court addressing Sanjar, he said uh, before his courtiers, it is indeed regrettable that the necks of the Muslims are breaking under the crushing burden of your tyranny, while uh, those of your horses uh, are overburdened uh, with expensive harnesses. Muhammad, the elder brother of Sanjar, uh, succeeded his father Malik Shah. Ghazali wrote a detailed letter in the form of a treatise exhorting him to inculcate the fear of Allah, fulfill his obligations as a king and work for the betterment of his people. Administration was generally in the hands of ministers in the times of Ghazali. Therefore, uh, he paid more attention to them than to the uh, Seljukid kings for bringing about reform and administration. He wrote detailed letters and directives inviting uh, their attention to the mismanagement, maladministration, inefficiency, illegal extortions, and high-handedness of state officials. Ghazali reminded them of their responsibility before God and invited their attention toward the fate earlier tyrannical rulers and administrators had met as a consequence of their oppressive administrative policies. The letters written by Ghazali to the then ministers of the Seljukid kings uh, mirror his personal courage, the desire for the exposition of the truth and effectiveness uh, of his uh, pungent mode of expression. In one of his letters uh, to a minister, Fakhrul Mulk, 
He wrote, You should know that this city, Tus, has been laid to waste by famine and tyranny. Everyone was scarred by the news of your presence or scared by the news of your presence uh, in uh, uh, Safra'in and Damaran. Uh, cultivators sold their produce and hooligans behaved nicely with the population. Now that you are far away, the fear has taken flight from these elements. The bully has again taken the heart uh, and the farmers and grocers are uh, indulging in black marketing. Anyone sending you a report to the contrary to what I have stated is not your well-wisher. Verily, the solemn invocation of the oppressed in Tus would surely be answered by the Lord. I counseled the governor of Tus, but he did not pay any heed to me until an example was made out of him by the divine justice. My solemn admonitions would undoubtedly appear distasteful to you, but I would not have dared to write this letter if I had not cast away all temptations of earthly favor out of my heart. Pay heed to me, for you would not be counseled like this by anyone after me. Only those can admonish you who do not allow their selfishness to conceal the truth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised the ranks of our akabir. In a letter to Mujiruddin, another minister, he says, Now that the tyranny has reached its limits, it has become incumbent on you to help the oppressed. I was a witness to this state of affairs for a year or so. I then migrated from Tus in order to avoid casting a glance over these ignoble oppressors. Now that I have returned to Tus, I find that the oppression is still continuing. After uh, inviting the attention of Mujiruddin to the despicable fate met by earlier ministers, Ghazali continues, The ministers before you met a fate which none had met before them. But now I see uh, oppression and destruction which I have never witnessed before. You may not be pleased with this state of affairs, but when these oppressors will be called on the day of uh, uh, of requital, I mean the day that 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 people will be will get what they what they deserve, everyone uh, responsible for their tyranny, even in the remotest possible way, will be asked to render an explanation for it. The Muslims of this place are extremely aggrieved. Uh, the officials have collected quite a substantial amount from the populace, many times more than the money sent by you for distribution of the poor. But it has not been remitted by, uh, to the king. These people have uh, misappropriated the entire amount. Uh, and so this is uh, another, uh, another example of Ghazali speaking the haq to the, uh, to the kings. And again, it's not like, you know, he's not just doing it in order to, you know, show how tough he is or... Uh, in order to uh, you know front and uh, look big in front of his murids, uh, first of all, he's not going to uh, he's not going to win any favor with anybody by saying what he did, and he's you know probably going to invite to himself the uh, uh, the danger that comes with exposing the misdeeds of powerful people because what's happening the ministers think that the the taxes are being collected properly but the tax collectors are basically eating it and spoil it among spoiling it amongst themselves and it leads to a weakness of the state and you can see in these advices that ghazali is not just like you know like anti-statist you know like we're just you know deep state and it's all conspiracy and uh we just hate the state for 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 the sake of hating it because that's an act of piety that's not correct the state is a, a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The state needs to function. If the state breaks down, then uh, uh, there are evil people who get the upper hand in the land and the enemies of the deen get the upper hand in the land as they did over 
as they did over the uh, the Muslims in, uh, in 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 the era of colonialism, that there was no one there to defend the Haramain Sharifain anymore. You know, there's no one there to uh, defend the uh, uh, you know Egypt and Iraq and Syria uh, and Turkey. There was nobody there uh, that was you know there to defend uh, Bosnia and uh, to defend Albania, which basically fell victim to genocide. You know, there was no one there to defend Crimea, which fell victim to genocide. There was no one there to you know when the state collapsed there was no one there to uh, defend the poor uh, uh, and destitute Muslims of Andalus who, who were then uh, uh, subject to genocide there's no one there even now to protect the Bichare poor Muslims of Burma and of uh, East Turkestan uh, the Uyghur speaking populations or the Hui speaking populations there's no one there to uh, 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 protect the Rohingyas or the brothers in uh, uh, the Central African Republic there's no one there the state has collapsed there's no one there to, to look after their good anymore so you see that he's not just like uh, like barking at the, the governors for the sake of like looking big or whatever he's pointing out those things that are mavalim that weaken the state and he's pointing out uh, those things that weaken the public treasury uh, uh, so that the state uh, uh, cannot be ready to uh, fend off any uh, any outside threat and he's uh, uh, you know talking about those things that weaken the the spiritual integrity of the state uh, as well uh, and when people no longer believe in the system then you know what happens is that public life falls by the wayside this is why you have this like malaise in much of the muslim world where where people uh, you know people are like well what's the point of doing anything what's the point of building anything you know someone else is just going to take it and misappropriate it and uh, uh, make garbage out of it you know i may as well just like you know get up and immigrate to uh, xyz uh, non-muslim land and you'll see those people, those same people who wouldn't do a day of honest work in, in the Muslim world, when they come here, many of them will, uh, um, not all, obviously not all the immigrants are like this, but there are people, you see that they wouldn't do a day of honest work in their homeland. But when they come here, they'll literally like, you know, uh, uh, work day and night uh, and uh, uh, they'll all of a sudden learn the, the benefits of, uh, of, of, of structure and of responsibility and of uh, uh, consistency and of uh, uh, of hard work and of diligence and like years will pass by and they'll build businesses and they'll build stuff for themselves in in this country or in countries like it and uh, the question is well why wouldn't they do it back home and the answer is what because they have a feeling and it's a relatively well-founded feeling that if they had worked hard like that back home, a day could come when a corrupt person with an inordinate amount of power could just destroy everything that they built for themselves. So, like, why bother, you know? So when that type of malaise comes over the, the state, then it really does weaken, it does really weaken everything. So you see, Ghazali is not, he's not just, you know talking smack to the kings in order to uh you know himself become prime minister we have you know one rascal in the uh, in pakistan who is like that who you know uh, has big marches talking about the corruption of kings and uh, why why does he do that because he himself wants to become prime minister uh um you know that's that's not what's going on he has no he has no uh horse in that race the only reason he's even bothering to Make the nasiha is for the help of the commoners and for the strengthening of the state, for the protection of Islam and for the protection of the Muslims, so that the the actual work of uh, of the ummah can go on, which is protecting, preserving, and practicing the knowledge of nubuwa and spreading the uh, the deen of Allah Taala and strengthening it amongst its people and and to uh, invite others to it as well. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala give all of us tawfiq. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala give us basira and insight. 
Um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq of reading the, the, the valuable works of our akabir and those who passed before us and uh, learning and gleaning something from it and learning the principles by which they operated uh, so that we can also implement those principles in our own lives and we can advise one another and uh, we can uh, inshallah uh, uh, clean uh, uh, that thing which has been befouled and uh, repair that thing which has been broken and uh, make efficient that thing which has uh, uh, become rusty. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, give us all tawfiq and in the, in the process forgive us for our sins and uh, give us uh, some something show him on the day of judgment that we try to do our best and we try to do something better uh, so that he can forgive us and he can enter us into uh, salvation and into his jannah uh, forever and ever um, by the barakah of, uh, of these Mubarak gatherings and by the barakah of this Mubarak month of Ramadan and the Mubarak fast and the prayers that we do at night and, and uh, uh, these uh, these Mubarak days and night nights. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give all of us from his fadl wa sallallahu tabarak wa ta'ala wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.